You may have noticed that we are looking a little bit young today. Uh, we have all of our kids in the service with us today, along with our students. It's our family worship service, which is a great time for us to gather together and worship together as a family. Our children get to see us engaged in worship and singing to God and listening to his word being proclaimed. It's just a, an incredible opportunity for, uh, for families to gather together. Uh, if your kids are here and they are getting a little squirmy, we do have activity items out in the lobby, feel free to send them out, grab a bag, and have them grab some things back there to help entertain them, uh, help keep them uh, occupied during today, and uh, it's going to be a great, great time. Hey, since we have all the kids in here, I thought it'd be fun to, to play a little game with you. Uh, I love doing that, and I love spending time together. I'm curious, since we're in the series called Fear, or Fighting Fear with Fear, would you happen to know the names, the official names of certain types of fears that people have in this world? So we, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the name of a fear and give you some choices and see if you can guess what the actual fear is. Now, I don't actually have uh, prizes to hand out. I thought about throwing things out from the stage, but I thought that might get a little bit out of hand uh, with people diving for them. But what I would like for you to do is if somebody is by you and they get the answer right, just give them a high five. Say, great job. That would be fantastic. All right, you guys ready to go? First one is this. Can you name this fear? Trypophobia. Trypophobia or trypophobia, however you want to say the Y in that. Is it A, trios, the fear of trios, the fear of typos, the fear of holes, or the fear of peaches? How many of you say trypophobia is the fear of trios? A, no one, no one? All right. How many of you say B, it is the fear of typos? One person, all right. How about the fear of holes? Anyone think that's a, wow, fear of holes? How many of you think it's a fear of peaches? <clears throat> Anyone? <clears throat> all right, thanks for being bold enough and brave enough to say that. Uh, it's actually the fear of holes, trypophobia is the fear of holes. So if you guys got that, give each other a high five. All right, second one is this. I promise you they will get a little bit harder. Electrophobia, electrophobia. What is that a fear of? Is that a fear of crowds, electricity, apples, or chickens? How many of you think that it is A, the fear of crowds? A couple, all right. How many of you think it is electricity? Oh, okay. How about the fear of apples? Nope. All right, fear of chickens? Anyone? Some of you are just like, I'm not raising my hand for any of those because I have no clue and I don't want to be wrong. All right, electrophobia is actually the fear of chickens. <laughs> it's, if you got that right, give someone a high five by you. Great job. That is a hard one to get. It's a hard one to say. I was having a hard time with that one before. I want to make sure I said that right. All right, here we go. Next one is this, globophobia. Globophobia. Is that a fear of A, globes, B, balloons, C, circles, or D, travel? How many of you think it's the fear of globes? Too obvious, right? Globophobia. All right, how many of you think it's the fear of balloons, B? Like this section over here wants to say yes. Fear of circles. Who thinks it's the fear of circles? It's like this side against this side. All right. And the fear of travel is D, globophobia, fear of travel. It is actually the fear of balloons. Great job, section over here. If you got it right, give, your, 
yourselves a high five or somebody else bought you. All right, here we go. Last one is this, I believe. Potophobia or potophobia. What is that a fear of? Is it a fear of iPods, of feet, of small spaces, or sleep? What is it a fear of? Who thinks it's A? Fear of iPods? That's like parents. Parents are saying that's what I think it is. All right, B, uh, fear of feet. All right, that one is a little obvious. C, small spaces. Anyone for small spaces? There's one or two. How about D, sleep? Not very many for that. You are right, the majority. It is the fear of feet. Great job. All right, I'll give you one more bonus one. Here we go. Last one is this, galeophobia. What is that a fear of? Galeophobia. Is it A, how many of you think it's A, sharks? Fear of sharks. How many of you think it is B, telescopes? Fear of telescopes. C, stars. Oh, a little bit more. And last one is horses. Who thinks it's the fear of horses? Oh, a little scattered today. All right. Actually, galeophobia is the fear of sharks. If you got that right, you are one of the select few, so give each other a big high five. Man, we have so many fears in this world, don't we? I mean, the list of fears is seemingly endless. I could go down the list of all the different types of fears that people have, and it would blow your mind with a number of them. I mean, we all have fears in our lives. Uh, I am deathly afraid of snakes. Like, if you want to see me squeal like a little girl, you put a snake by me, and that is all that you need to do. Uh, closely followed by fear of spiders. Uh, I watched arachnophobia when I was younger, and it traumatized me for the rest of my life. Um, I am deathly afraid of spiders, so when my family asks me to kill one, I'll do it. I'll be brave for a second, but I am inside screaming my head off. I am afraid of heights, believe it or not, even though I desperately want to go skydiving. I don't know why that is. I have so many different fears in my life, but I would tell you that my greatest fear, the fear that drives my life more than any other fear, is the fear of other people. I am deathly afraid of what other people think. And this started from when I was very young. I can remember some of my earliest memories that if I would go to bed at night and it was hot, I would sleep without a shirt on, but when I would go to sleep, my dream would be that I would be walking in a public place without a shirt on. And I was terrified, incredibly embarrassed that I would be without a shirt on in public. And believe it or not, that has not continued. I still have dreams about that, although psychologically uh, people will say that it has a different meaning. Just the other day I was at a pool party and felt so weird that I didn't have a shirt on when I was talking to somebody. I had so many fears of what other people think. When I tried out for a traveling soccer team, I showed up with white cleats on. And they weren't actually cleats. They were the ones that had the rubber little cleats that are more like golf shoes and soccer shoes. And I heard all the other kids talking about my white soccer shoes. So you can be sure that when I made the team, that when I showed up, I had on a different pair of cleats. When I got to high school, uh, all the, the kids at high school, since I started high school after being homeschooled, uh, for the earlier part of my life. When I got there, everyone already had their friend groups. So I was trying to find a way to fit in with all those different groups. And I went through a whole bunch of them. I changed the way that I would dress. I changed the way that I would talk. I changed the music I would listen to. I changed the way I would act until I could find just the right group that would accept me. And the one that did actually was the worst one that could accept me and led to my expulsion from school. I brought all of that into college. 
same kind of thing. I kept trying to find the same types of groups. Who would accept me? What would I look like? I, I kind of morphed through a bunch of different identities like athlete or scholar or emo or retro or youth pastor. I tried all the different identities in college. I even tried preppy and trendy. didn't work. I tried all of these things to try to fit in and nothing seemed to work to satisfy me. I kept being afraid and I would love to say that I have changed, but I woke up this morning, do you know what my thoughts were? Is what I'm wearing today, will that look cool in front of other people? What will they say about that? I constantly think about what other people think of me. And I would say that you are probably just as guilty of this as I am. I think we're all the same. I can go on and on because the fear that I have of other people is rampant. It reminds me of an ancient story of a man with his son and their donkey. They were walking along the road one day, uh, the man and the son walking with their donkey, and they came across a fellow traveler who said, why are the two of you walking when you have a perfectly fine donkey to ride on? So they both hopped on the donkey and started riding down the road. It wasn't that much further when they encountered another traveler who said, how inconsiderate are you guys? Look at this. You are both riding on a donkey. You are so heavy, that's so inhumane. So uh, they said, well, why don't you, son, get off and I'll ride the donkey. So uh, later on down the road, the son was walking the donkey while the father was riding. Someone said, how inconsiderate of you, child, to uh, make your father uh, or f- for the father, how inconsiderate of you to sit there and have your son walk while you're riding. So they switched places. Later on down the road, the same thing happened. They said, how inconsiderate of you, son, to, to make your father walk when he should be riding. He's so much older than you. Last that they saw, the two people, the man and his son, were walking down the road carrying the donkey. <laughs> the idea is that no matter what you try to do, you're never going to please everyone. There's someone always out there that will not be happy with who you are, what you look like, and how you act. It reminds me very much of a quote by Simon Tugwell who said this, We hide what we know or feel ourselves to be, which we assume to be unacceptable and unlovable, behind some kind of appearance which we hope will be more pleasing. We hide behind pretty faces which we put on for the benefit of our public. And in time, we may even come to forget that we are hiding and think that our assumed pretty face is what we really look like. I have a great vantage point. I'm staring at all of you, and I can see some of you squirming in your seat a little because you are feeling the same thing as I am. Every person in this room struggles with this fear, the fear of other people. If you complain that your painting or your drawing doesn't look as good as your brother's or your sister's or your friend's, you probably have early onset fear of others. If you are constantly checking your social media accounts to see what other people are doing or saying about you or how they're liking your posts, you are driven by the fear of other people. If your home outfits, children's clothes, and toys, and our music choices are determined by your social media feed, chances are you're succumbing to the thoughts and the opinions of other people. If self-esteem is a recurring theme to you, chances are you struggle with the fear of others. If you experience love hunger, needing others to, to fill you, you struggle with fearing others. 
If you tend to second-guess your decisions because of what other people might think or what they might say or afraid to try things in a, in a, because you might make a mistake or fail, you are struggling with the fear of others. If you tell little white lies or exaggerate to try to make yourself look better in front of someone else, you are struggling with the fear of others. If you are jealous of other people, it's showing that what they have and how they live drives how you live or want to live. You struggle with the fear of others. If you avoid other people, even if it's under the pretense that you don't need people, you're still controlled by other people's thoughts and opinions. And if you think that I've left anyone out, all I have to say is, how do you feel when you are asked to go share the gospel with somebody? Evangelism. Telling someone about Jesus. All of a sudden, your heart starts racing a little bit more. All of us struggle with fear of other people. Their values, their opinions, their thoughts. We spend so much time wondering what other people think about what we look like, how we act, or the comments that we make in our small groups, or if we can say things correctly in our prayers. We see opportunities to talk about Jesus, and we shy away and avoid them. We are ruled by our own reputations. This is nothing new, and we are not alone in this. In fact, if you go and look through the Bible, you will discover that that is all throughout the pages of Scripture. Pilate, Pilate is just as guilty. He put to death. He slayed the Savior because of the fear of others. He wanted to let Jesus go, but because he feared what they might say and how he might lose his position, he put Jesus to death. Look at Aaron, who was the companion of Moses, his brother, who spoke on behalf of God, was the people's representative to God. When Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, what happened? The people went to Aaron and said, hey, Aaron, we don't know what's happened to Moses. We want you to make us a God that we can see. So he told them to take off all their golden jewelry and he molded a golden calf for them to bow down to and to worship. Aaron, he took his sacred hands and desecrated them because of the fear of other people. When Saul was first chosen to be the king of Israel, at the moment of his coronation, he was found hiding in the luggage because he was so afraid of other people. And when he got up and when he started to serve as king, he started to do incredible things, but then God gave him a task. Accomplish this task. Do it in its entirety, Saul. Obey me. And Saul didn't. When Samuel the prophet called him to the carpet on it, Saul said, but I was afraid of the people. Saul feared people. After Elijah had battled 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and seen the power of God on display, they had consumed the altar, the offering, the water, and the trench around it. He ran into the desert because he was afraid of Queen Jezebel because Jezebel said she was going to take his life. He was afraid. But probably the most common one that you would have heard of or remember of a person who feared others was the Apostle Peter. If you don't remember Peter, Peter was a very brash and impulsive man who constantly uh, spoke and acted before he thought. He wore his emotions and his words on his sleeves. 
And one time he told Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, even if the people come for you and they want to kill you and arrest you and take you away, I will stand with you even if it means my own death. So a little while later, we discover here is Peter. Jesus is arrested and he's in the the area where the trial is taking place and Peter comes to the outside courtyard. And as he's there, listen to the dialogue that was going on. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out. And he wept bitterly. Now, if you remember the story, you remember that after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he sought Peter out specifically. Peter, come here. Come on, Peter. And he had a moment with him and said, Peter, I I want you to know that I love you and that I forgive you. He experienced the great and all-encompassing forgiveness and love of Christ. And you might think, oh, that's great. That's awesome. So then Peter never struggled with that again, right? Well, that's what we would think, but that is not actually the case because Peter continued to struggle with this. Even after experiencing the the love and forgiveness of Jesus, even after being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we see Peter in Galatians. He is there with a group of Gentile believers. They had already established that the Gentile believers, they didn't have to follow the same rules of the Old Testament that they were used to, that the Jews were used to doing. So he was having a great time. He had already had a vision that everything was okay for him to eat. He had already spent time with Cornelius, who was a Gentile, not a Jew, and ate in his house. So here he is in Galatia eating with the people that are there, with all the Gentiles, doing whatever he wanted. But then all of a sudden some Jews came, some very high-profile Jews, some Jews who believed a certain thing about circumcision, that you had to follow the Old Testament regulations along with your relationship with Christ. And Peter, for fear of his reputation, before these Jewish Judaizers, started to step away from the Gentiles and not hang out with them and not spend time with them, not share meals with them. And he did that so much so and started to distance himself so much from the Gentiles that even Barnabas, one of Paul's companions, followed in with him. Galatians 2, 11 through 14, you can read that whole passage and see, Paul says, I had to call Peter out. I opposed him to his face and said, stop what you're doing. If you want to live like the Gentiles, live like the Gentiles. If you want to live like the Jews, do it. But don't wish wash. Don't go back and forth. Do what you have been called to do. Peter was afraid of what other people thought about him. He finally learned his lesson. So when you finally get to his letters, 1 and 2 Peter, his letters, he has changed entirely. And you read what he has to say in there. 1 Peter chapter 3, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your heart 
Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Don't fear people. Fear the Lord, he says, because he knew that the fear of the Lord was a trap that enslaves us. It has the power to control and change our thoughts about ourselves and our others and change our actions and motivations for doing them and ultimately take away our joy and our peace and our purpose. It is the truth that Solomon so lovingly and boldly declares in Proverbs 29, 25 when he says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. I can't think of a better big idea for our, our message today, so I'm just going to steal Solomon's, and that's what's going to be our big idea for today. Here is the big idea. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Bonus, you get to memorize a verse while you're learning the big idea. It's right. It's a win-win. But wait, there's more. Not only do you get the big idea, not only do you get to memorize a Bible verse, but these are the two points of the message. All in one. That's it. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Well, I say this in jest. I don't want you to miss out on the incredibly powerful truths that are on display here because the vital truth is that we need to know and believe and live out this verse if we were ever going to overcome the fear of others that we so easily succumb to. And it starts with the first line. The fear of man lays a snare. The fear of man lays a snare. Ed Welch brilliantly uh, states in his book, by the way, this book, Outside of the Bible and Desiring God, has impacted my life more than any other book ever written. He says, To really understand the roots of the fear of man, we must ask the right questions. For example, instead of asking, how can I feel better about myself and not be controlled by what people think? A better question is, why am I so concerned about self-esteem? Or why do I have to have someone, even Jesus, think that I'm great? Why? Why do we struggle with this? Why is it that the fear of other people is something that each person in this room deals with and struggles with? The problem lies a lot deeper than we ever thought. You see, the fear of others reveals something to us. When we fear other people and what they think, their opinions, it reveals something to us, and it's this. It reveals that we have a need. We have a need. Often when we think of uh, idols in our lives, things that we bow down to or worship or consider as more important in our life than God, we generally think of physical idols, like things that people have in their houses or workplaces. But a close second behind that, we think, oh yeah, I know what idols are. Those, those, those are things like power or money or possessions things that have the power to control people's lives. Very rarely do we take it a step further and realize that the idol of choice for most of us are people. People are our idol of choice. Our friends, our spouses, our children, the people that we look up to 
the influencers on social media, even our spiritual heroes and mentors, the people that we have in our lives have the tendency to become the idols in our lives. Well, we may not bow to money or power or statues. We don't hesitate to worship people because we believe that they have something. They have the ability to give us something that we crave, that we think will bless us, that we think will make us feel whole. That's the foundation of the fear of others. When we feel that we need something in our lives to make us feel content or significant or worthwhile or loved, there is a need. And it's showing that something else has to meet that need and fill it if we are going to be happy. When I feel as though we, we need some kind of separate thing, it's normally the approval of others. Our actions are, are guided by the approval of others. Our thoughts are centered on what others might think of what we say, do, act, look like, put on. What they'll think of us. Our feelings of significance are determined by others, and we're actually demonstrating there's this major hole in our lives that needs to be filled. We're lacking something to make us feel complete, and that is something that's been going on since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve were the first people to show us that they were tempted by something other than God to make them happy. You mean there's something else besides just my relationship with God? that can make me happy, like eating this fruit, the knowledge of good and evil. The thing is, the fear of others reveals that we have a need, but that need also does something. The need reveals a desire that we have. The need reveals what we desire. I think this is a really important thing. There's a need for someone to pour into our lives to tell us we need something, that approval. That's our need. Then we start to desire it. I was just having a conversation with with Kyle about this last week, about how early on does this happen. It happens with our kids all the time. Have they come home and they talk about what another child has done, the type of Lego creation that they have made, and how great it was, and how bad theirs was, and how much they need to change their creation because it didn't measure up. Maybe you grew up in a home where praise was not offered for anything that you ever did. And so you have spent your life trying to get the approval of other people for things that you can accomplish, things that you have done. Maybe you never felt like you have ever lived up to your parents' expectations for you. And so you spent your life trying to earn their approval. Even if they're no longer here, you're still trying to do things to gain their approval. Maybe my mom and my dad will be proud of me now. Maybe you're, you're searching for something that is cool because you want to build the best magnet castle, the best Lego creation. Or maybe your ambition is to fit in with a certain group of friends or to make enough money to show that you have made it or to hone your skills so that you are respected and acknowledged as being a craftsman. Or maybe you're considered a great teacher, adored by your students, or respected by your colleagues in the healthcare industry. There are so many ways that we do this. Or maybe it just simply comes in different statements that we make. Like, if my husband would just say this to me, 
or if my wife would just respect me, or if my kids would just obey me, or if my kids would stop fighting with each other, or if this would happen, or if this person would notice me, I would be happy. What we don't realize is that those same desires are what controls us. The need we have this fear of others, it shows that we have a need. That need elicits a desire that we have to have this in order to feel happy. But we don't realize that that desire to be noticed, significant, loved, it controls us. Every part of our life then is determined by what other people think about us. As long as you need that approval, significant accomplishment, acceptance, encouragement, praise, you'll be controlled by those needs and the people who meet them for you. When I was uh, younger, my parents, our family, uh, took a trip to Fiji. My dad was considering whether to go with a missionary and create a Christian campground on the islands of Fiji for people to come to. One of the places that we stayed at was a hotel resort area that we are considering using as that property. And I had this opportunity to learn windsurfing for the very first time. I don't know if you have ever windsurfed before, but I had to take a class on it in order to figure out what I was doing before I could even get out in the water. It's a surfboard with a sail on it. And what I discovered as I was in this class is that you can't just go out on the water and hold the sail up. You had to move the sail to catch the wind. And you couldn't just go in a straight line because that straight line might take you out to sea or might take you to the rocks or might take you to another place that you don't want to go. So you constantly have to be moving the sail and the surfboard and you're moving in a zigzag pattern wherever the wind blows you. That is so much like our lives is that we, in our lives, we tend to move where the sail is moving us, where the wind is blowing us, where the opinions of others are telling us to go. And it changes throughout time. Different people. Maybe when we're younger, the opinions of our friends matter so much more to us. Maybe when we get a little bit older, our colleagues matter more to us. Or maybe when we become parents, the, the opinions of other parents matter to us. And we start to move in the direction that the wind blows. We are all over the place because we're guided by the thoughts and opinions of other people. Whatever you need will control where you go, what you do, how you think, what you wear, what you look at, what you drive, where you work. We're controlled by these desires, but the problem gets worse. And this is what we don't always realize, is that not only does this need result in a desire that controls us, that control turns into slavery. We are enslaved as in all idolatry, the idol we choose to worship soon owns us. What we fear becomes so big in our lives and it rules us and it tells us how to think, how to feel, how to act. It tells us what to wear, where to go. It tells us to be frightened to death if someone ever asks us to speak in front of anyone else, especially in a group. It's as if there's this unspoken law that we have to appear or appease or please someone in our life. This law that says they are the one that we have to please, whether that's real people in your life or the virtual people that we meet on social media. Yet no matter how hard we try, this law can never be followed. Even if we are able to please one person in our life, there's another person behind them that we cannot. And so the cycle begins. And so friends, the battle for our freedom 
commences. I don't know about you, but I hate being controlled by the thoughts and opinions of other people. I hate fearing what other people think. And I want so desperately to not have that control the way that I live. So how do we do this? How do we fight against this? E.E. Cummings once wrote this, and it's so very powerful. He says, to be nobody but yourself in a world that's doing its best day and night to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. He's not wrong. There's a power play going on in the fight for your control, the control of your life. Every day, whether you realize it or not, and how you approach it will make all the difference in your life. Friends, we have to rise up. We have to realize that the people around us are enslaving us with their opinions of our lives. Things need to change. And I love how Vin Jang, he's an immigrant, a Vietnamese immigrant born in Australia. He's done an incredible work in his life, done incredible things. Uh, but he goes around and he speaks to different organizations. And what he has to say is so important. He was sharing this with uh, a group of people one time. I want you to hear his fight in the struggle. We don't want this in our lives, do we? Do you like being controlled by the fear of what other people think? You might be sitting here thinking, okay, that's great, Joel. You have made a, a great case for what I'm fearing, that I fear so much, and I fear the opinions of other people, and I realize now that it controls and it slays me, but how? How do I get free? How do I release this? How do I get from under this bondage in my life? What do I need to do? Good news. That's exactly what Solomon says in the very next part of his verse, the second half of our uh, big idea and the second point in your notes. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Here's the point that I want you to get, and I, I think this is so important. It's not that we need to focus on loving ourselves more. Loving ourselves more will not help. Even considering ourselves more will not help in this battle. Check this out. It's not even spending time having God tell us how much he loves us. That's not going to help either. That might sound interesting to you, but here's why. Because it makes God out to be serving our needs, that our need for love and significance is the most important need in this life. So God, I need you to fill that for me in my life. We are back in the same struggle. No. To quote Ed Welch again, this is how we get free from the fear of others. Ed Welch says this, the most radical treatment for the fear of man is the fear of the Lord. Catch this. God must be bigger to you than people are. God must be bigger to you than people are. I came across a picture this, this last week, and I thought it was so cool. I want to show it to you. Uh, that's pretty awesome. What's, what, what is bigger in this picture? What's bigger in this, in this picture? The leaf is bigger in this picture, right? The leaf is, is bigger in this picture. It, well, let me rephrase. The leaf is bigger in my perspective, 
Why is the leaf bigger? We know that this leaf that this person is holding is not really bigger than that person, right? Right? Why does it look bigger? Because it's closer. Because the leaf is closer to us. So obviously the person is bigger than the leaf, but the, the leaf is closer, so it's bigger. If people are big in your life and God is small, it is not that God is small and the people are big, is that you are sitting closer to people than you are to God. If people are so big in your life and God is small, it's not that God is small and people are big. It's you are sitting closer to the people in your life. You want to know why people are so big? It's because you're closer to them. You're closer to their feelings, their opinions, their thoughts, their ideas of how you should think and live and wear clothes. But things change. Once you step into the presence of God, everything changes. And it's not that all of a sudden God becomes bigger than he was before. It's you finally get to see how big he really is. So much bigger than anyone in your life. It changes everything. So here's the point. The more time you spend with God, the more time you spend with God, the bigger he becomes in your life. When we spend time with God in his presence, we realize something so incredible that we don't have to perform for him. We don't have to look a certain way for him. We don't have to do things to gain his approval. It is given to us freely because of Jesus. He loved us when we were enemies. So now that we are his child, he loves us even more. And it's not because of anything we've ever done, but because he made us and saved us. The more time we spend in his presence, the bigger he becomes. Isaiah, when he was called by God, he was called by God to go and take a message that was going to be immensely unpopular to the people of Israel. In fact, it was so unpopular, he would be uh, persecuted for that message. He would be mistreated and abused and ridiculed because of his message. And as he's sitting in the temple one time, trying to think through this and thinking about King Uzziah who was on the throne, all of a sudden he gets this picture of God. And he says, I opened my eyes and I saw God. And the glory of God filled the temple and his robe, the train of his robe was everywhere. And there were angels flying all around. And they were saying to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. When we spend time reading passages like that, our view of God gets bigger. When we move into Job and we hear how he has all the rain and the snow in storehouses, how he scattered the heavens out, how he knows all of these things, how he has control over the most powerful beasts on earth, our view of God gets bigger when we read in Isaiah how he, God holds the whole universe in the span of his hands and he holds all the water right here in the cup of his hand. We get a view of God so much bigger and God becomes bigger in our eyes. When we read Revelation and Ezekiel 1 and when we see him walking on the water and healing people and bringing people back to life, our view of God gets bigger. When we spend time in God's presence, he becomes bigger than anything else in our lives.
I want to say this. When our hearts are being filled with the greatness of God, there is little room to ask the question, what do people think about me? Daily stops in the court of God cures the fear of man. The bigger that, or the more time we spend with God, the bigger he becomes in our lives. And the the bigger he becomes in our lives, the smaller other people appear. Then the thoughts and opinions of other people, they don't matter as much to us. Then we can start to refuse this idea that we have to perform for them, to please them, to live for them. Because it's neither satisfying nor rewarding. Not only that, but we lose both the need and the desire for their approval. We get to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who spent so much time with God that when it came time for them to stand up to the king of the world at the time and to not bow down to his idol, even if that meant being thrown into a fiery furnace, they were willing to stand up. And they said, God, uh, King, hear us. It doesn't matter if you throw us into the furnace. We are not going to bow down to you. The king of the world was small in their eyes compared to the greatness of God. It was that same view of God as Daniel spent time day after day after day, praying three times a day in his room, openly for everyone to see, spending time with God. And as he spent time in his presence, he was able to stand up to Darius, the king of the world at that time, and say, it doesn't matter what you do to me, King Darius, my God is greater And he was not afraid of the the lions or the king when he stood in their presence. It is like the apostles who were standing before the ruler, the rulers of the area who were telling them, you need to stop telling people about Jesus. They said, you tell us whether it's right to obey you or God. We're choosing to obey God. Even if that means imprisonment, torture, and abuse. It is the same power that gave the apostle Paul the ability to go from a place where he was mistreated from the gospel to another place and say something like this, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. It was like Martin Luther who stood up in the council before the most powerful men in the area. And at the threat of death, he said the following words. I must walk in the fear of the Lord. He said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against my conscience is neither right nor safe. God, help me. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. There are a thousand other scenarios where people who spend time in God's presence are able to stand up against the fear of other people because when God is big in our lives, people become small in our lives, and so does their power over our lives. And the smaller that people become in our lives, the more we are able to live for God's purpose. What hinders us from doing what God wants us to do? Fearing what people think. Being afraid of what they will say about us, how they will treat us. That's what keeps us from that. But if we trust God, we spend time in God's presence and God gets so 
big in our minds and in our eyes, that fear goes away and we're able to serve God the way he wants us to. We can boldly say, whom shall I fear? I put my trust in God. And that trust in God leads to courage to attempt to do great things for God in fearlessness in the midst of them, standing for truth, not fearing the thoughts or opinions of others. I can stand up to this. It is trusting God through his strength that gives us courage to make decisions in our life, not based on the fear of others, but because God is so great. So then if God is leading you to do something for him, whether that's sharing with the rest of your family that you made a decision to follow Jesus, do it. If it means stepping forward and saying, I'm going to get baptized, even if my friends might mock me or people might think, wait, you haven't been baptized yet? Do it. Even if it is sharing your faith with friends, how they can have a relationship with Jesus. If it's standing up for what is right and true in your workplace. Even if it's stepping forward in a dream that God has been putting on your heart or going with the gospel to those who have never heard it before. Even if that means leaving your comforts in your home. You can do it because God is bigger, bigger than anything else in your life. You'll be able to do these things because Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who kill your body but cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body and how ultimately it's this. The more that we live for God's purpose, the more joyful and happy we become. Living for the fulfillment that we get from others is fleeting. The more that we try to live for their approval, their opinions, it never makes us happy. Over and over and over we try and it always leaves us empty. It leads us into a trap that enslaves us to the whims, opinions, concerns, and thoughts of others. There's no joy in that. In fact, Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah chapter 17. says, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in an uninhabited salt land. There's no happiness there. There's no joy there. But when we see God for who he is, bask in the greatness of his presence and majesty, we no longer ask, how can so-and-so fill my needs? But how can I see Christ as so glorious that I don't even care about those needs anymore? So we can be like Jeremiah goes on to say, blessed, happy, content, lacking nothing is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We are so often like a group of people called the Wemmicks. The Wemmicks is a character in a story by Max Locato called You Are Special. The Wemmicks were living in a village. Uh, all of the Wemmicks were created by a wood carver named Eli who sat on the top of the hill. He made all of these Wemmicks. He made some tall, some short, some with big eyes, some with big noses. Some people had really fine skin like wood and really fine paint. Some of them had chipped paint and not fine wood. 
But you know what the Wemmicks did? All day long, every day, they had two boxes. One was filled with gold stars, one was filled with gray dots. And every day, they would go along and they would give each other stickers. If someone did something great, like lifting something really heavy or jumping really far or high or singing really nice, they would give them a gold sticker. If their paint was really nice, they would give them a gold sticker. If they said something really catchy, they would give them a gold sticker. But if someone wasn't like that, if their paint wasn't so nice and their wood was chipping, they would give them a great dot. If they couldn't say things well, they would give them a great dot. If they didn't measure up, they would give them a great dot. And there was another character in the story named Punchinello. And he couldn't do anything well, so they gave him a dot. He couldn't speak well, so they gave him a great dot. He tried to jump high but fell, and they gave him a great dot. He couldn't speak well, so they gave him another great dot. Some people gave him a great dot just because he had a lot of great dots. In fact, he had so many great dots, he didn't even want to go outside. When he went outside, he only hung out with those who had great dots just like him. Because everyone in that village, all they concern themselves with is getting a star or a dot. In our life, it's the same. And I want to invite uh, Megan Childs, who is our new kids ministry director. I want you to hear the end of this story because it is so powerful of what happens when Punchinello meets Lucia.